Hey friends, welcome to the Robin Graham show. I'm so grateful you're joining me for another episode where we dive into entrepreneurship, faith, mental health, and so much more. I'm your host, Robin Graham, a brand strategist, business coach, and mentor. Join me every week to learn how mindset, strategy, and action combined will produce the results you were dreaming of. Discover your purpose and follow your God-led callings, values, visions, and passions to create a personal brand and strong foundation for long-term success. The sky is the limit when we spend time with like-minded people. Through interviews and solo episodes, we'll be diving into inspiring stories, life and business journeys of failure and success, and the strategies and tools used along the way. Ready to learn? Grab your cup of coffee, the car keys, or the dog's leash, and let's dive in to this episode. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this episode of The Robin Graham Show. I am so interested in the conversation I'm going to have today. I have a very beautiful young woman with me, and we are going to talk about how, as health-conscious women, we can look at a life that is alcohol-free, what the benefits are, and why we would even consider it. And is there a point where you can start to recognize when you might want to consider it and then the health benefits associated with it? So I'm really excited to dive into this. As you know, I like my wine. So this is going to be a learning experience for me as you know, it is for you as well. So, and I would love actually, I'm going to throw this out there now. I would love for you to screenshot the episode and put this episode in your stories and say whether or not you are alcohol-free or whether or not you're interested in going alcohol-free. Because I think that in the secular society that we live in, there is so much promotion of you know, alcohol, like it's just part of everything that we see that is fun and exciting and it's always present. And I would, you know, it's in the movies, it's in the, it's everywhere. So I would love to know what your thoughts are listeners and just tag me in your stories so that I can see this. And you can also tag our guest today, Carolina. She'll tell you her Instagram handle later, but definitely give us some information here. Cause I'm so curious to hear what your perspective is and how you're living your life and whether or not you would be interested in making a shift. All right. So without further ado, I'm going to bring Carolina and I'm hoping I don't say this too wrong. Jot Kowalska. I might be close. I don't know. Anyway, welcome to the Robin Graham show. I am so excited that you're here. Robin, thank you so much for such a warm welcome. Um, I'm so excited to be here. And I think we're going to have a great conversation, just sparking some curiosity. This is not a black and white conversation. It's just experimental. And like like you said, we've kind of grown up with one worldview, alcohol is everywhere. And so what does it look like to start to just question that for your own life? Yeah. And I'm very curious at such a young age, why you decided to become alcohol-free and live a life without alcohol. Yeah. Great question. And, you know, I think it's just like alcohol is one of those weirdest topics in our society because we really rarely talk about it. We will talk about it very lightheartedly. We will talk about the happy hour we're planning, the dinner party, the wine getaway trip. Right. And then we talk about it when it gets really serious. You know, someone really hits rock bottom, gets a DUI, has to go to rehab and uh, has alcoholism. And that really leaves a huge gap for everyone else to not really be able to have conscious conversations around alcohol. And that's where I found myself in that middle area. Right. So I, I, I think we assume that the only reason why you would ever look into a, a problem with alcohol is if you identify with having a problem with it. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And I've worked with so many women who who drink what they would call very normally to the society around them. And that's where I was. So I partied really hard in college. I definitely had no boundaries around alcohol then. I'm not going to lie, right? But as I got older, by the time I got in my late 20s and I turned 30, I considered myself a very health conscious person. And so what I did is I loved this Jekyll and Hyde type of behavior. So Monday through Thursday, I was very healthy. I worked out. I ate well. I did my yoga. I was reading. And then every single weekend, alcohol came into the picture. And it was all the normal events. It was the dinner party. It was the wedding. It was Netflix and wine. It was sushi night, game night, whatever. But I would always overdrink on the weekend. And then I would wake up on Monday morning just feeling horrible. I really felt unwell, literally. But I also felt emotionally really drained. I felt emotionally unable to really have any stamina to face the week. And it was like I was almost putting the pieces back together. It's like I made this healthy progress and then I bulldozed it like five steps backwards by Monday morning. And so I I emotionally was, you know, really feeling distraught, anxious, a little depressed. And then slowly throughout the week, I'd feel a little better, feel a little better. And then guess what? It's Friday and it's time to drink again. And I lived this pattern for years. And it honestly drove me insane because every Monday morning I was like, I can't do this anymore. I hate this. Right. And then every Friday I forgot that. And and I, I honestly couldn't make sense of it because I would look out and maybe research on Google a little bit or look, find some books. And every story I'd ever read was really about someone who drank every day, all the time, hits rock bottom, is addicted to alcohol. And I didn't find myself in that boat. I actually drank less every year than the year before because I kept track of it, right? I was so health conscious. And so finally, what really uh, changed my mindset a little bit is I heard of dry January. And back then, you know, dry January is just starting to get popularity in the US. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I need to do. Finally, I can take a break from alcohol and I don't have to uh, explain it to anyone because I think that's what my deeper fear was. If I'm not drinking, are people going to assume I have a problem? They're going to call me an alcoholic, all these things. And so dry January was like the permission I needed to just, just let's just try this. Let's just try what life feels like without alcohol. And I honestly fell in love with that experience. You know, it wasn't necessarily easy at first, but I started to fall in love with like the sense of new activities I could do on a Friday night. I was exploring different things to do instead of, you know, the wine. I was sleeping really deeply. I was feeling so proud of myself when I woke up every day. So proud. And by the time February came along, I really, really liked the alcohol-free journey I was on. But I also still felt like I lived in the society I live in. And I had this dominant belief that normal adults drink. Therefore, if you want to be normal, Carolina, you must drink. So I drank a few times in February and that experience actually was such a big contrast because even one or two drinks would completely change my mood. I got frustrated, cranky, exhausted. I didn't sleep well that night. I couldn't journal that night, you know, and all these things were just really contrasted to the just more euphoric experience I was having in January. And so at that moment, I decided to take another break and that break basically turned into four years later. And every single month that I experienced without alcohol, it got better and better and better. I got the best energy of my life. My health uh, improved so much. My cholesterol dropped. But then emotionally, I started to regain so much more pride, confidence, and self-love within myself that I eventually started to recognize, you know, if I could do this, if I could change my relationship with alcohol, what else could I do? And I started toppling a lot of the other self-limiting beliefs I had. And I went after the things that scared me the most. I launched a business. I launched podcasts. I wrote this book, you know, and now four years later, I'm living what used to be a pipe dream of mine, but now it's become my reality. And it all started with that break from alcohol. Wow. So (laughs) this is going to sound shallow compared to you, honestly. So my birthday is in January. 
So I don't have just a birthday. I'm like birthday week, birthday month. I'm like all month wanting to get together with friends or celebrate or do whatever. And a lot of times we travel in January because we'll go skiing, you know, all these little things that I've always been like, well, I can't do dry January because I'm going to be with so-and-so, or I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to be celebrating. So it fascinates me that you took the month and you decided to do that because I've never even given it a second thought to be perfectly honest, because I do enjoy my wine with dinner, or I do enjoy my wine when I go out with my girlfriends or, you know, with my husband and our friends for dinner or whatever. But, you know, I had Tamara Andres on the show. Actually, I think her episode just aired this week that we're actually doing this interview and she is alcohol-free as well. And what she had noticed, and I, this is an interesting contrast almost because for her, it was, she was using it as like a, almost like a crutch. Like that was kind of her way to navigate shame. And her children, her, her very young daughter one time said to her, mama, would you like a glass of wine or no, do you need a glass of wine? And that really hit her hard that, oh my gosh, I am grooming my children to use alcohol as the solution to a stressful day. And that woke her up. So I love that you talk about how it made you feel because I don't sleep well at night. If I have more than a couple of glasses of wine, like, forget it. I'm going to toss and turn all night. I'll have a night sweat, whatever. It's disgusting. I don't feel well. And I wake up in the morning and I'm, I'm more irritable and I'm more anxious. And that's just a reality. I don't drink during the week. At least that's my, always my intention. Once in a blue moon, if we go out to dinner, I may have a glass of wine or something, but from Monday through Thursday, like you, I avoid it, but it does open that door to on Friday, be like, Oh my gosh, it's happy. I can't wait to have a drink, you know? And you don't realize, I think that it could become a problem when you're living like that. But when you listen to how you just described the fact that if we are to track our behaviors and our emotions and how we feel physically, I bet we would all see that there is a difference in how we feel on those days where we're clean and those days that we're not. Absolutely. And I think what's really cool about it is that when I was going through it, I felt very isolated. I felt like something was actually wrong physically with my body to not be able to process alcohol the way it should or something like that, because I was doing the same thing everyone else was and no one else was talking about it. No one else was talking and telling me, oh yeah, Monday mornings are the worst or, or, you know, all those experiences that we felt. I didn't sleep well that night. So I was like, okay, I guess everyone sleeps well and I just don't. Right. But as I started really, you know, getting into this and, and having honest conversations with people, you know, physically alcohol affects the human body all the same, right? We, like, we all yeah. experience the effects. And as I learned more about the science, it was almost like a relief to know, like, it's not me. It's not me at all. Like this is just the effect on of alcohol in the human body. I mean, first of all, it completely reduces REM sleep. So we have around five to six cycles of REM sleep a night and even one glass of wine, they've proven just one glass reduces our cycles down to one or two cycles. Mm -hmm. So you're not getting that nourishing REM sleep. So even if you're clocking in those eight hours, you're not going to be getting that emotional processing that your body needs. REM sleep is very important in that sense. And then obviously more than a glass of wine, our body actually has this counteractive system because alcohol is a depressant and it slows everything down. It numbs everything. We have this counterbalance. So we release stress hormones in response to alcohol. So our body releases cortisol, adrenaline, and something called dynorphin, which is kind of like the opposite of endorphins and makes you feel really low and glum. And so we most feel that you could feel in the middle of the night, right? You could actually wake up at that three or 4 a.m. And then it's literally like you've been shot adrenaline through your body. And then you'll have this fragmented sleep the rest of the night. And then you definitely will feel it the next day. Like you might just wake up just a little 
more glum or a little more anxious than you would had you not drank the night before, right? And that is all literally the scientific effect of alcohol. And what's so interesting is as I've learned and basically my own pattern is those stress hormones, the body detoxes from alcohol within around two days, give or take of like how much you were drinking, right? But those stress hormones actually last in the body much longer. They could be a whole week or two. So with my pattern of drinking every week, I honestly never allowed my body to really feel its natural state, like what it feels like without the effect of alcohol at all, ever, because I was always kind of bouncing back from that effect. And then it was time to drink again. So it was Friday, right? Uh And so uh, until I took a break, it's really like, I'm really not someone who cares really about, you know, saying what the dangers of alcohol are or all these negative effects, but more so like, well, this is what your body looks like when you take a break. So when you take a break, all of this can kind of rebalance those stress hormones in your body go down. But at the same time, a lot of your happiness neurotransmitters like dopamine, serotonin, and GABA actually go up because what happens is alcohol desensitizes you to though. It it lowers your levels of those naturally occurring positive neurotransmitters over time because alcohol, just like any other drug, it does this huge spike of dopamine in the pleasure center of your brain. But after that like 20 minute buzz, it actually crashes lower than what it was before. And what it then also does is it desensitizes you from more naturally occurring joy, like playing with a child or a belly laugh with your friends or walking in the woods. These things just don't register as high on your brain. And I mean, you can see this kind of example play out with say like a heroin addict or someone who's addicted to cocaine. It functions the same way. We don't often talk about alcohol like that though. So we desensitize ourselves to more naturally occurring joy. And then we have all these stress hormones racing through our body. So when I took a break from alcohol, it took a few weeks to rebalance, but I remember literally feeling happier and more giddy than I had ever felt in my life. I was like staring at clouds, you know, like really just being amazed at the world. I felt like this childlike wonder I hadn't felt since I was a teenager. I felt awe and gratitude and appreciation. And I felt happier and just ecstatic. I was laughing more. Like I was just so much happier. And that's honestly why I call my company and my book euphoric, because I think we think of the sober lifestyle in such a grim, boring way. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what if we have all of us? What if we have this natural joy that we just have been tampering this whole time? And if we allowed that to resurface, we might all fall in love with it. Right. So it's very experimental. Like until you try it, you just won't know. But, uh, you know, it might be worth trying for someone who's who's this this conversation's peak an interest for. Yeah. And you know, that kind of leads me to my, to my next question, which was how does someone recognize that it might be time to evaluate giving up alcohol or removing alcohol from their life? Yeah. I love this question. And you know, if you Google it or something, you're going to get these telltale signs that are very serious, you know, like it's taking over your life or, you know, you're, you're not keeping up with work or your friends. And I think that's BS because I think it's like, we are, are literally putting up with this habit and this conditioned kind of conventional norm, we're putting up with all the like mediocre effects until it gets really, really bad. Okay. And only then can we look at it. I say BS to that. I honestly work with women who only drink one glass at a time, one glass at a time. And yet they're still not happy with the way alcohol plays out in their life. So my biggest question to ask someone is not, is this a problem, but is it making you happy? Is this really, truly making you happy and bringing you joy in your life and not just immediate gratification at the moment? Does it make you long term, you know, happy? Are you proud of this? Like you shared that example that was so beautiful. This woman felt like she was role modeling something unhealthy for her kids. And even though everyone's doing it like that, that really kept her up. That really didn't align with her values. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the better question to ask. Is this habit aligning with my values? 
Is it allowing me to explore my deeper dreams or is it kind of keeping me stuck in a status quo? And so uh, I really don't think anyone needs a, a reason or you know some kind of story behind why to reevaluate the role of alcohol in their life. We all have an alcohol story. We all have it as a presence in our life. And I think it's just a, a very wise thing to just ask yourself, you know, like, is this serving me? Is this serving me also too? Like when I was younger, it's one thing, right? Like it's not to vilify alcohol or anything like that, but is this serving me and where I want to go in the future? You know, and those could be kind of questions to ask. And, you know, just so people know on your podcast too, having a complicated relationship with alcohol, drinking above the health guidelines, wanting to drink less, you are now in the majority of all Americans. We think of like people who have a problem with alcohol as being like that one, you know, drunk uncle or something. But when we're talking really more concretely about people who are drinking above the health guidelines, which are ridiculously low, right? It is Mm -hmm. most people and most people actually have admitted that they want to drink less or not at all. So this really isn't like a them versus us type of thing. It's like as conscious health oriented people it behooves us to ask if it's making us happy. If it is, you know, or like, for example, if you take a break and you don't enjoy it and you want to go back to drinking, that's fine. That's great. At least you tried it. But if until you try it, I guess you won't really know. And uh, I really do believe that since it has so many benefits from our health, sleep, mental health, all these kinds of things, sometimes it's an eye-opening experience to have as well, to be like, wow, mm-hmm. I didn't know I could feel this good. Or like a lot of women will tell me, they just assumed the way they felt was a, a result of getting older, you know, and then they remove the alcohol and they're like, oh my God, it was all the alcohol, right? And- well, and you, when you were talking about the stress hormones, I mean, we know that cortisol increased, that's the stress hormone and it actually adds weight onto the body. So especially for women, like, you know, my age, middle-aged women, and as women start to hit perimenopause and menopause and that belly weight starts to come on, I can see where this would have an exaggerated effect on women's bodies as well. It does. And, and, um, you know, obviously, you know, your size and your weight does not determine your worth whatsoever, but you know, when you're struggling against that and you're trying to do everything to try to combat that, just having the facts, I think can be really helpful because I kind of struggled with uh, body weight, you know, issues and just trying to lose those like that last 20 pounds for a decade when I was a drinker. And it was just really hard for me. And until I learned the science around how alcohol affects the body, like, again, I I internalized, I shamed myself of not being, you know, able to fix this in my life. And so once I learned that, yes, there's a lot of empty calories in alcohol, but also too, it slows down our metabolism. So Mm -hmm. they've even proven that two drinks will slow your metabolism down for three hours. And alcohol is this kind of a energy source. I wouldn't call it that, but you know, the calories in alcohol, your body has to process that first. So it will take precedent over the calories from protein, carbs, all the other stuff. So basically your body goes on pause to digest and to like metabolize your food, but it has to do that for alcohol first, which might sound like a good thing, but then it's not because that other stuff can then get stored as fat instead of getting processed. It increases appetite, you know, and it actually numbs the signal that we're full as well. And it also blocks certain nutrients. So it actually blocks pretty much vitamin A through Z, you know, vitamin A, B, C, D, it blocks the absorption of those vitamins, which one, it's like, why are we eating all those kale salads anyway, right? (laughs) If alcohol is blocking the absorption and two, that also leads us to be hungrier over time. So if anyone is just struggling with that weight loss battle and it's just bringing a lot of shame and pain, like understanding those facts, like to me was actually a huge relief because it was like, oh my God, again, it's not just me. There's this drink out there that's not as innocuous as I thought. It actually does uh, have, you know, a lot of different side effects that I didn't know about. 
Yeah, it, it is amazing. I mean, and there are studies out there showing, you know, it does have positive, you know, antioxidant effects and, you know, different things. But I think when you look at the big picture, it's if you get more sleep and you have less stress on your body, you're going to have natural antioxidant effects. So, you know, you, you have to weigh like, okay, can it be justified? Of course it can be justified. Anything can be justified, but how do you actually feel? And how do you feel like, do you feel centered? Do you feel any sense of balance or do you feel that, you know, you're, you are cranky because you're not getting enough sleep. And I am such a big sleep person. It aggravates me to no end when I don't get enough sleep. And so, you know, that's always been like a challenge for me. It's like, well, I, no, I'm not going to have a drink tonight because I want to sleep tonight. You know, it's, yeah, yeah I'm exhausted from the week. Like, no, that's not going to help me. Yeah. But most often I've, I will admit I've made the wrong choice and I've had wine on Friday night, <laughs> but you're making me rethink this. Okay. So do you have any other things? We really did dive into the mental health side of alcohol, not alcoholism per se, but we talked about, you know, the stress hormones, the sleep and all those effects that it can have on the brain with the dopamine surge and and all of that. Do you have anything else to add to how alcohol does affect our mental health? Yeah. I mean, so I think that because of that pattern of just, you know, elevating all those stress hormones and then also decreasing our naturally occurring joy, I think, you know, over time, at least personally, what I felt was apathy. I felt really restless and I felt really bored. And the thing is to me, I, yeah, a bottle of wine, a a glass of wine at the end of the weekend was the highlight, right? And this is just a personal story of mine, but I'd like to share a little bit deeper is what I didn't recognize was that sense of boredom, that sense of, uh, you know, restlessness. Everyone has different emotions that they might be drinking over, right? And not even in a conscious way, but just like, you know, that itch you have on a Friday night, what is it exactly? And so, you know, when you, when you go for on a break with alcohol, you have to kind of sit sitting with a lot of uncomfortable feelings or, or feelings that were used to be masked with that alcohol. And, and for other people, there'll be all kinds of different feelings that come up. But I really believe that our feelings are these barometers in our life that actually give us these little signals and clues about what we want, what we don't want, what we, where we need to make shifts. And so for me, it was this sense of restlessness and boredom. And, you know, back then, all I, I thought it was normal. TGIF was so normal, right? Like, like yeah. I can't wait for the weekend. But what I recognized with a little bit of hindsight and a little bit of thinking was that I couldn't see how unfulfilled I was with my week. I was so unfulfilled. And then obviously the weekend and the drinking was the biggest highlight of my life. And so until I kind of looked at that and as I was alcohol-free, I regularly recognized my job is not the one I want. I've always wanted to make a bigger impact in the world. I've always wanted to be autonomous and have my own company and not work for a boss. And I always wanted to like really make a difference and like be an author as well. All of those things were just pipe dreams. I had a nine to five. I wasn't working on any of those things, right? I gave up on them a long time ago. And so for me, taking that break from alcohol allowed me to deal with that deeper feeling of boredom and actually, you know, feel it. But, you know, boredom is this beautiful thing. Boredom is the secret to all innovation. Boredom is the secret to creativity and inventiveness. And instead of like masking it with passive entertainment, like a drink or TV, I sat with it and then used it to see what new challenge do I want to bring in my life? I remember trying a ton of new things. Like I did a lot of new hobbies. I got out, I went paddleboard yoga uh, class, went to one of those and I went to Zumba class. I rode my bike a lot. I went hiking a lot. I went to the symphony. I went to the botanical gardens. I just started getting out and doing all these new things. And I think that's the thing with alcohol 
is it does affect our pleasure center, but it's so artificial, right? Like it's just like you could put a brain note on a rat and, and, you know, st- strike their pleasure center in the similar way. That doesn't mean they're really having fun. That doesn't mean it's real joy, right? It's well, just it's temporary. artificial. Right. Yeah. So it almost like, it almost asked me, it begged me to ask the question, what really makes me happy? What gives me organic joy? What am my passions? What are my interests? And I was going on this journey. I really started to, you know, explore new things, find a new way to have fun, find things that really brought me joy on my Friday, Saturday nights or or whenever. And as I went through that experience and I have this laid out in my book as well, and, and in the clients and students I see, I started really recognizing I really want to launch a business. I want to, you know, be the author I've always wanted to be since I was a little girl. And so I I took that boredom and I translated it into like, I need a life more filled with purpose. Mm -hmm. And so I completely changed my life from a big 180. You know, I started that business. I, I started writing that book. I started that podcast. I even ran a half marathon that year, which to me, I thought I was one of those people who would have a heart attack before I could like run a half marathon. I just was not a runner. You know, I did all these things that defied the things that I had previously put limits on myself and just didn't believe were possible for me. And as I started exploring and really living out something that gave me more sense of purpose by helping other people by, you know, I quit my job. I got to travel more often, just really doing the things that gave me a sense of meaning in my life. I recognized that like it was never going to be found in that immediate gratification in a glass. And I had to go through that journey to kind of remove that in order to discover what it really was for me. And the thing is that's really cool is my story is not really an anomaly. Like a lot of the women I talk to and a lot of my clients themselves will have these huge shifts in their life where a few months alcohol free and they're like, you know what? I really want to move to Europe. And they do, you know, it's crazy. I have one client who literally quit her corporate job and moved her family to France because that was like a lifelong dream of hers. Now they're having the adventure of a lifetime and she plans to write a memoir about the experience. I have other clients who have gone on to write their own books or launch their own businesses or, uh, you know, start a movement or some kind of nonprofit in their local community. So it's almost as if like a lot of the tugs on our heart, it's like you listen to your intuition to take a look at your relationship with alcohol. And then the intuition continues to give you these signs about what will give you more fulfillment. And they're not getting numbed and you're you're really just listening to them. So that was a beautiful experience that I got to have and that many women that I've, I've worked with get to have as well. And so it's so much deeper than like the physical stuff. I mean, amazing, you know, like you lower your blood pressure, you can lower your cholesterol, you can grow your gray matter, you can heal your liver fat, you can lower your cancer markers in your body all within just a month of alcohol, right? So all that stuff is amazing, but it just gets continues to go deeper and deeper and deeper the way the profound effects can really affect your life. And that's what I'm passionate about, really. I could care less what people drink at the end of the day. I don't care if people drink or not, right? It's almost as if I care so much more about when you remove that one thing that might be holding you back, what space do you create? And that space you create is this beautiful, limitless potential to go after what you truly are passionate about. And the things that you truly are passionate about often end up really helping the world. And mm-hmm. that's what I care about the most. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I love that. It's so inspiring. So I have a couple of last questions for you. One is that, and, and I'm sure that other people have the same question, like as you were navigating this and you did your first month, so you had the excuse, no, it's dry January, I'm not drinking this month. What happened with your friendships and the relationships that you have had for all these years that 
you know, you were doing all the partying with, what happened to those relationships? Did they fall to the wayside or did you keep them? And did they kind of reinvent themselves as you changed the course of your life? Great question. And I think that the social aspect is one of our deepest core fears around this topic. It's like, maybe I could figure this out at home, but like, can I just stay at home forever? Like, how am I supposed to explain this? Will they stop liking me? Will they feel like I'm judging them? All these different topics come up with that. And I have to say, first of all, like my nearest, dearest, my true loved ones in my life, my good friends, like my husband, my family, like it, sure, it was a transition period where we were not, you know, all buying into the same kind of activity at once. But it also broke free this ability for us to be so much more vulnerable together because I was almost like calling the kettle black, you know, it's like, I don't feel good after alcohol. I don't like how it makes me feel. I love how I feel without it. And then my friends were able to say, oh, me too. You know, I thought that was just me. Right. And so we were able to really go more vulnerable with each other and a lot deeper. And a lot of my friends uh, ended up, you know, experimenting with breaks from alcohol themselves. But we also went deeper in the sense of like, it wasn't just happy hour that bonded us, you know, like we would go on hikes together, you know, I invited them to new things, we would, uh, you know, go maybe try mocktails somewhere or just have like deeper conversations. And so I really found that I got to know my friends better because I was able to be a lot more present with them, you know, it wasn't just shallow conversation. And we shared a lot more of our fears and our dreams together. And we started kind of elevating each other, I would say. And so the second point is totally true. It, It reinvented our friendship. And I even have friends now that like maybe they they didn't change their relationship with alcohol that much or, or they started drinking less or whatever. But then like my my launching a business and writing a book has really inspired them. And now they're working on that part of their life. So it's like it's almost like that rising tide lifts all boats and you have no idea the ripple effect you can create in your life. Because if the majority of Americans, it's it's at least 52 percent, say they want to drink less or not at all, those people are around you. And instead of feeling like the odd one out when you socialize, what if you think of yourself as the leader or the inspirer? Because mm-hmm. honestly, Robin, if I went to a party six years ago and I saw someone not drinking and having a good time, I would have been like, wait a minute, you're allowed to do that? That's allowed here? I, it would have like rocked my worldview, you know? And I needed to see examples like that because I didn't. And so you could always be that example for other people. I mean, most, a lot of people like we all like and glorify alcohol in our society, but there's, there's, there's negative effects that if we're really being honest with ourselves, it comes with baggage as well. And so it's kind of a love hate thing. And you might be just that avenue for someone to be able to express that real honest reflection on their own relationship with alcohol. And I just want to say too, after a period of, you know, getting used to a new norm and, and allowing people to, you know, find that their, your relationship hasn't changed or just a, a resettling period. Um, one remembering is that people fear change so much. And there was that analogy of like the crabs in the bucket and one crab tries to get out and the other crabs bring them down. Right. So, you know, when you change, it honestly brings fear in other people of, will I lose this person? Will they outgrow me? Will they not like me anymore? So that can always be something that you're dealing with, but also, you know, it really puts a mirror up to their habits. And if they're not happy with their own relationship with alcohol, they could be defensive they could try to cajole you or they could, uh, you know, just be like, oh, I don't have an issue with alcohol, blah, 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 you know, and really kind of get on the defensive. And again, those are just red flags. There's nothing to do with you whatsoever. Like that's their own insecurity about alcohol coming out. But I will say if it takes like a long time and those people still don't come around and they don't really enjoy hanging out with you, you know, if alcohol is not involved or like with, if you're not drinking, 
is it possible that you guys only had that in common? And were they really as close of a friend as you assumed, you know? So I think that happens only in rare circumstances, but it is possible for someone to just really outgrow some people in their life. But what's so cool about that is, again, you make space and Mm -hmm. then you attract the people who are more on your wavelength, the people who inspire you, who you aspire to be, um, and who are really movers and shakers in our world that that you attract into your world. So I try to say, like, not to fear that social aspect because it could be a really beautiful unfolding for you. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you describe all of that. And I think it is important to note that those people who truly love you are going to accept whatever decision you make. Absolutely. And sometimes it's that way of shedding the the negative and the ones that are holding you back into in a negative space versus letting you move forward and spread your wings. So yeah, yeah. I, I love that I mean, you say that. I love to always just remind people it's an innate object. It is a literally a fermented beverage in a glass. It is just a liquid, right? Like we do not go into this kind of drama when someone's a vegetarian and the other person's a meat eater. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's so it's so odd in our society how much status and importance we put on alcohol. But at the end of the day, you know, like a glass of wine is not what bonds you with other people. And it's not something that's going to tear you away from other people either. It is just like, we should, we should as a society strip away some of that importance and just let it be like whatever people choose. You know what I mean? You could be gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan, paleo, and nobody cares anymore. And yet alcohol-free just still rifles those feathers. And I think we need to with our own attitudes, be like, no, it's not a big deal. Yeah. I can have a mocktail and hang out with you guys and everything's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that you're saying nobody else can drink. It's like, it's a personal preference. And I think that's where it all has to come back to is that this is the decision I've made. It doesn't mean you have to make the same decision and you having a drink is not going to make me uncomfortable. So me not having a drink shouldn't make you uncomfortable. Exactly. So, okay. One last question, because we've gone over time, but that's okay. Cause this is such a great conversation and I think it's really inspiring, but what is that first step that you recommend people take if they're going to make this choice to try this so that great they question. can set themselves up for success versus, you know, very quickly backpedaling and saying, oh, I'm not going to do this. I think that habit change is beautiful and great, but I think there's some much bigger beauty with mindset change and mindset change is you know, we have to really be honest. Like you said, at the very beginning of this episode, we live in a society that glamorizes alcohol. We grow up and we start drinking at what? 18, 16, 21. It is literally pushed on us when we are so young. Our brains are not even fully formed yet. It is a way to fit in. It is a way to prove you're an adult. It is a way to be independent. Alcohol carries so much status in our society. It's in all the shows. It reflects a life of glamour or food and wine sophistication. It has so much more meaning behind it than just the alcohol, right? And so that is something that we've been conditioned to believe. We believe it makes us more fun, social, relaxed, glamorous, sophisticated. And so understanding that we're all a product of that society, you know, like unless you grew up in Saudi Arabia or something, you were all a product of that society. And so changing your mindset over some of those bigger questions of does alcohol really make me feel more glamorous or sophisticated or does it make me fit in more or is it my only way to have fun? is really a a way of just asking yourself different questions. So mindset first, and how does someone just get started with working in the mindset? So easy, read a book, 
read a book, listen to a podcast, just get interested in seeing a different perspective on alcohol than the one that has been, you know, marketed to you, honestly. Right. And I'm really excited to share my new book, Euphoric Ditch Alcohol and Gain a Happier, More Confident You. Uh, This book is for anyone. It's not a book for, you know, the problem drinker necessarily. It is just a reevaluation of the role of alcohol in our lives and just showing you what are the life-changing benefits of taking a break, not saying I'm quitting forever, but just taking a break. So I think really just leaning into alternate information can be really helpful for someone. Uh, Again, a book, maybe listening to a podcast, those kinds of things. And then once someone feels ready to try a break from alcohol, that would be the next step. And a break from alcohol is like, you could do 30 days. You're going to see amazing changes in 30 days. A hundred days will like completely change your world, but even seven days, even three days, like start wherever you are, you know? Uh, and it, it really is almost like you're building a muscle. Like if, if you're used to drinking every Friday, the first Friday is going to feel weird as hell, but you're building a muscle and then you're going to have to discover, well, what else could I do on a Friday night? That would be fun. And, and you start to get inventive, you know, and if you really took a break, for an extended period of time, you'll start to see some of those life-changing benefits. And you might find that, wow, I'm sleeping better. I'm happier. I'm healthier. I'm learning how to be more confident in my own skin. And like when I'm socializing, you know, I'm a huge introvert. So growing up really shy as well, I completely outsourced my sociability to alcohol. I will fully admit same thing, same exact thing. It, it became a crutch really. Exactly. And what ended up happening for me is one, I never really practiced socializing without it. So I never was able to develop that skill within myself, but I was also subconsciously telling myself like, you're not interesting. You have nothing to talk about. People don't like you unless you have a drink in your hand. So it actually did the opposite over time. It actually made me feel less confident and more insecure. And I mean, don't even start with the embarrassing nights I had, right? Like those don't make me feel (laughs) like proud and, and confident with myself. So it actually had the opposite effect in many ways. And it was such eye-opening to like defeat that limiting belief to be like that confidence that I'm looking for. I need to develop that within. It will only be developed within. And now that I've really worked on that and found that, yes, it was awkward the first few times, but now that I've really found that, like, I, I really feel like I've got myself, like I'm taking care of it. You know, it's, it's almost like a little child who's scared, but the, you know, mom's here, like you don't need to run to something else. Like we've got this together, you know? Um, But anyway, all of those gamuts of life-changing benefits that happen when you take a break. And the thing is, again, you don't have to quit forever. You don't have to say you'll never drink again. It's just if we've all drank pretty regularly since we were 18 or so, you know, other than a few pregnancies, like it's just we don't know what our body feels like without alcohol. And it could be just a really beautiful experiment to discover that. So I take it really lightheartedly. I take it very as an experimental basis, very much with curiosity. And the thing that's really cool about taking a break from alcohol, too, is that you will start to join a process of self-discovery in your life because you're going to be asking yourself deeper questions, deeper questions about the role of alcohol in society, the role of alcohol in your life, but also how do you find fun in your life? How do you socialize? How do you find confidence? How do you relax? How do you take care of your emotions and your needs? You know, like all of these beautiful questions kind of come up to be answered for you. So I feel like it's, if anything, it will just help you get to know yourself better. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. That self-discovery. Yeah. All right, Carolina, this has been amazing. How can the listeners connect with you, learn more from you, maybe even hire you to help them navigate the world of going alcohol-free? Absolutely. So if you're interested in getting my book, it's on bookshelves, it's on Amazon, and you can find it at www.euphoricbook.com. It's called Euphoric Digital Alcohol and Gain a Happier, More Confident You. 
And again, it's a really good primer to just start introducing different ideas into your relationship with alcohol. And then if you're interested in working with me or, you know, taking one of my courses, you can find me at euphoricaf.com. That's awesome. And I will actually put the link to the book in the show notes. So um, listeners, you can just go straight to that, to the show notes and grab that link as well. And I thank you so much, Carolina, for being here. This was just so enlightening, inspiring. I loved every second of this conversation. And listeners, if you stayed till the end, I know it was a long episode, but I'm so grateful that you stuck with us and listened. I'm hoping that you found this very inspiring. And if you did, I ask that you please leave a rating and review because that is how more people will discover the show and more people will get to hear such a great message and inspiration from Carolina. And also be sure and subscribe so that you stay up to date on new episodes that are coming down the pipe. All right, everyone have a great day and thank you so much. Thank you. You've been dreaming big and have an audacious goal, but don't know where to begin to make it all come true. You're tired of spinning your wheels and investing in online courses that you don't have time to finish. You are finally ready to invest in yourself and your business to make your dreams a reality. And I'm here to help you. Together, we'll work on mindset, create a brand marketing strategy, and take intentional action to achieve the results that you want and your clients need. Work with me in my one-to-one six-month coaching program or for a VIP day. Not sure which is best for you? Schedule a free mentorship call and we'll decide together. Just go to www.therobingram.com. Both options are invaluable. And that's a wrap, friends. If you enjoyed this episode and found the information helpful, please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating and review. Ratings and reviews are how we grow and more people find the show. It would mean the world to me. And let's connect. You can find me on Instagram, Clubhouse, Facebook, and LinkedIn as The Robin Graham. Have questions about building a personal brand and business for success? Book a free mentorship call with me at www.therobingraham.com. Until next time, remember to smile.